Welcome to Cardinal Conversations, a career podcast from Catholic University, brought to you by the Center for Academic and Career Success and University Advancements Alumni Engagement Office. My name is Brett LaPred. I'm our Director of Career Development and Professional Networking for the Alumni Association, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Ryan Cheatham. Hey, Hi, Ryan. how are you? Uh, I'm, I'm doing well, Ryan. Good. Uh, for folks at home, we're recording in a new place today, mm-hmm. and uh, it's got nice open windows, unlike my office that doesn't have any windows or mine yeah yeah <laughs> it's beautiful yeah they like nice to, to see the clouds i know yeah <laughs> we're looking at the law school it's a beautiful day here in washington dc yes uh, so we're back doing another conversation with an alumna mm-hmm. and uh, i'm really looking forward to it because uh her story is rather unique and yeah. what she's doing now is really unlike anything else I've heard alumni doing. So I'm really excited to learn more about her career path and what she's doing and how she got there. Absolutely. And she owns a winery. Yeah. Come on now. How often do you get to talk to winery owners? Right, right. Yeah, and a sneak peek. (laughs) uh, The winery is not in the States, so uh, maybe something a little exclusive here on Cardinal Conversations. Nice. Yeah. Well, Ryan, uh, should we get to our conversation? Yeah, let's do it, Brett. Welcome to the Conversation with the Cardinal segment. This is where we have the pleasure of interviewing one of our esteemed alumni about their career paths, uh, career advice that they might have, things that they've learned along the way for the benefit of all alumni and current students of Catholic University. So this is one of my favorite things that we get to do on the podcast and one of my favorite things I get to do at the university overall And I'm really pleased to have with us Mary Bruton Sandifer. Uh, Mary is a graduate of the class of 1975 and has lived quite a life. And Mary, I'm really grateful that you have agreed to spend some time with us today to talk about some of the things that you've done, some of the things that you're currently doing, and what your career as uh, vast and as expansive and as winding as it has been uh, has looked like for the benefit of the broader Catholic University community. So Mary, uh, welcome to the podcast we're so grateful for, for you to be here. Would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself? What's your story? What have you been up to since Catholic University? Oh, well, what an introduction. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm very thrilled and honored to be speaking with you today. In fact, one of the reasons I, um, I think this all began is because when I graduated from CU, it was a very difficult time to get a job. And I wish that we'd had some kind of networking um, at that time because I loved my days at CU. We had uh, just wonderful, wonderful teachers and great friends. Um, And one of the things that happened is I was part of the humanities department and the French club, and we developed a love for going to Europe. First, we did a lot of film seminars about civilization. The Kenneth Clark series was sponsored through our club. And um, my professor, Dr. Joseph Willeman, gave me a lot of help to go to Europe. So with a friend, we backpacked after graduation. We went to England and to France and to Italy and to Greece. And um, I think that gave me a real love for for traveling. And then it started at CU. Then uh, when I went back to the States, um, I uh, found a job as a secretary for the National Endowment for the Arts. It was Um, pretty basic job, but it was such a wonderful place to work then because the arts were really a happening place in Washington at that time. And little by little, by doing um, small projects, uh, they found out that 
um, I thought I could write a little bit and they gave me small opportunities to do projects and to do some speech writing. And so I moved to New York and began uh, doing freelance writing, mm. corporate writing. And uh, that's where I met my husband and um, we just loved living in New York, but eventually we moved to Europe. He had an opportunity to travel and his family also lived in France. And uh, because I'd fallen in love with France all those years before, it was like a fairy tale, like a dream come true. And uh, we lived in London for a long time. We lived in Paris for a long time, but mostly our base was here in the Bordeaux area in the south of France. Wonderful. Well, there's a million things I'm sure that we could uh, follow up on that. Uh, it's always great to hear a story about uh, meeting a loved one uh, along the way in your yeah. career path. So looking forward <laughs> to, to maybe hearing a little bit more about that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mary, you had a career in corporate writing and other commercial uh, commercial writing. Um, uh, how did you break into that industry? I know you mentioned um, the opportunity and you moved to New York, but um, could you tell us a little bit more about it and how it differs from creative writing? Well, that's a really good question, especially when kids are just uh, starting out. Um, you always need somebody to believe in you. And I was very lucky because at the NEA, uh, a couple of people gave me a chance to write. And then when I went to New York, I had very small projects and I one or two contacts. And it's that was the toughest time. But as soon as I began to prove that I could write, I, I got more and more responsibility and then uh, developed clients through um, through a, through mostly a, a personal network, mm. and I that's that's the best advice I can give someone when you're looking for a job is you never know who in your personal network might know someone else, and I really loved the corporate writing. I actually wrote a lot of speeches, and I even wrote one of my favorite projects was for Norman Vincent Peale, his book The Power of Positive Thinking had its fiftieth uh, anniversary. And I was uh, engaged to take his book and turn it into an audio tape. And it was super fun because I had to take his myriad thoughts, which were all about how it was very anecdotal about how when you think positive and you take that positive attitude into your daily work, it, it generates energy and it generates a positive return. Mm -hmm. But I had to turn it into essentially writing uh, as if he was speaking in front of an audience. And that was my first taste of uh, speech writing. And what I began to learn about corporate writing is um, a lot of people think they know what they wanna say, but they actually need a lot of help figuring out their, their presentation because yeah. to write clearly, you need to think clearly. And so a lot of what I did with clients was helping them saying to them, what do you really want to say? And it was a lot of drilling down. Then um, when it came time to do what I really had loved doing from childhood, which is um, making up stories and, and creative writing, I realized that a lot of the skills I learned in corporate writing and especially speech writing helped me as I was developing characters, because I, instead of saying to my clients, what do you really want to say? I had to listen to my characters and say, what are you really trying to say? I had mm. to listen to their voices. And, um, and eventually I had to listen to my own voice because when you have all these characters that you're um, working together and creating a story, uh, you have to learn how to listen to your own guide and sort of like channeling in order to figure out how the plot is going to emerge. And, um, so the creative writing was really 
being able to listen to my own voice and my character's voices, as opposed to trying to ask other people what they really thought. But it was, but, but both helped the other because the storytelling aspect of the work that I'd been doing my whole life really helped in presentation work because whenever you're doing a client presentation, what people really love are anecdotes. Stories without anecdotes and a message without an anecdote is so boring. And people really, you know, when you see what works in a presentation, people always perk up when you have a little story to tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean, that's one of the biggest things that uh, I know when we've done some workshops with students in the past, having them be able to turn data into a a clear story is one of the big things that people need to do. And it sounds like you were able to do that a little bit in your technical writing. But but before we unpack maybe some things that you have taken with you from all of your writing uh, experiences into what you're doing now, uh, which I'm excited to get into, maybe... uh, we should tell people that you are a published fiction author as well, and you had a book come out not too long ago, Gene Seeds of Infinity. And so I know that you, you touched already a little bit on the differences between creative writing and technical or corporate writing and how it sounds like more or less your characters and your fiction stories are your clients. You're trying to figure out what they need to say, what they want to say, what, how they want to be communicated, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, all of those types of things. And so uh, maybe if you could just talk a little bit about that book and we can then maybe dive into some of the skills that you've developed from being a writer for most of your career. Well, the this story is the result of probably a lifetime of love of um the French countryside, and um, in particular, this house that my husband's family um, once had. And we spent all of our summers here with our children. And I I'm, don't necessarily believe in haunted houses, but I do believe that houses that are four, 500, 600 years old, they become imbued with the spirits who have lived there. And I don't mean in a spooky way. I just mean that the... Um, the life that has been lived in a place mm-hmm. is something that seems to get embedded in the stones. And um, we went through a period of, of great sadness when we had to sell the house. And uh, my daughter, who would, had never lived in one place because we traveled all over the world, she was particularly aggrieved because it was her grandmother's home. Mm-hmm. And so um, I felt inspired to write a story about what a young person goes through when they lose something that is so deeply important to them and has been so formative. And so it started out as a coming of age story. And um, at the same time, because we had already started making wine and we had a farm, I was speaking to a farmer who was very upset because he raised cows, um, cows that we, you, you, you call in the United States a, a grass-fed cows. Mm. And because they're grass-fed cows, you have a, a premium on their sale. And he told me one day he was very angry that he said uh, he was being forced by some agency to buy seeds only from a large chemical manu- manufacturer. And that if he didn't buy their seeds, the, the seeds that would uh, uh, seed the, the, the pastures where the cows live, mm-hmm. because he used to seed them with alfalfa and rye and oat. And they were seeds that his generation of farmers and previous generation of farmers had exchanged at the end of every harvest, mm-hmm. just like uh, farmers all over the world do. They, For 10,000 years, you exchange seeds so that it, it pr- promulgates the seed diversity so that you en- end up having wheat that's for a rainy season, wheat that's for a drought, uh, rice the same, uh, so that it adapts to the climate. 
And you don't just have one kind of um, homogenous seed that uh, might not work if the climate has changed that day or if the weather has changed that year. And so I said, well, what are you going to do? And he said, well, I'm I have to buy a certain amount of those seeds, then I'm going to burn them. And then I'm going to be with my friends and we're going to have to uh, do our seed exchange in secret. And then I'm going to continue sowing those seeds in my fields so that those are the seeds that my cows will grow from. So that inspired the uh, this other concept of seed sovereignty in the book in which uh, the young heroine, Jeanne, her father is a famous botanist. And like many uh, famous people, he thinks that well, the, the, the laws won't touch me. Don't worry, nothing will happen to us. And he defied the laws. And indeed, he was arrested and put in jail and his rights taken away, his business ruined. And um, uh, Jeanne was left with, uh, Jeanne and her family are left with essentially nothing. They, they moved to a decrepit farm and they have to start from scratch. And um, she has to uh, cope with the fact that he's her father's being held in prison. At the same time that she begins to develop an interest in the forest, uh, which is below her house. And little by little, she discovers that there's more in the forest, secrets and um, some magic that is very much based in the, uh, in the intrinsic life of the trees and in the water in the forest. And, it's something that is dear to my heart because we live right on the edge of a forest and we have a source and we have a grotto. So the story is uh, is also an, um, a, a wake up call about the environment. I am hoping to write a sequel because I want to cool. see what happens to Jeanne when she's uh, 23 years old and what happens when she's 28 years old, when the, when the other crises, environmental crises, they may be water. We're living with the scarcity of water now and and even clean air. What was what is what will happen if we, uh, with air becomes something we have to purchase? Yeah, Jeanne is very dear to my heart, and I miss her now because I used to spend every winter morning writing. Uh, because with the farm work and the vineyard work, we don't have much time uh, in the summer or parts of the fall. So what I tried to do is get up early in the morning, put my um, imagination cap on, have a cup of tea. My husband was very nice. He would always make sure nobody would knock on the door because if you're in a creative mode, you it's almost like what they call channeling. You start to live in your characters' minds and in their thoughts and in their heads, and then you start to see what they're saying and they see what they're doing. And I have to jot it down. And very often the next day, I can't even remember writing it i look at it and say gosh who wrote that wow and it's mystical and I, yeah and i i don't think i'm alone in that um and that's why it's very important to have that quiet time and that space to just let yourself go and daydream and not edit not be saying oh this word isn't right you just let yourself go and, and let the story flow and then what happens is the next stage is the craft part of the writing I allowed myself two winters to just play with the story. And then in the third winter, I sent it out to some professional uh, professional people for their feedback, which was a really good, um, uh, important part of the process. And, um, and because I'd done a lot of uh, studying of playwriting, where you have immediate feedback from your audience and from the other actors, you begin to learn that you can't say, oh, well, you didn't get it. No, no, that's not what I wrote. That's not what I meant. If people don't get it, they don't get it. You have to listen to what your audience is receiving from the story. And that was a, 
that was very important to getting to the to getting to the finish. Wow. Wow. That I mean, the book itself sounds like it just has so many layers. Um, and it's it's dense um, in like the advice for your personal life, for your career, um, and just being in, um, socially um, conscious and aware of, of what's happening. Um, and, and like you said, what frequency do you, do you operate on when it comes to your place um, in this world? And so I think it's a, a great read. I know I'm gonna check it out. So um, this next um, segment is called um, the Wheel of Not-So-Quite-Random Topics. Um, and what we're going to do is uh, Brett's going to share his screen with you here. And you'll see we have different categories. Um, and we have a question associated with each of those categories. Um, so we have first job, uh, CEO for the day, do-over, unwind, I'm totally jealous, um, Catholic U memory. So we're going to go ahead and, and spin it for a wheel of not-so-random questions. <laughs> And we landed on a, I'm jealous, I'm jealous. Okay. Um. Yeah, so for I'm jealous, Mary, uh, this is imagine yourself looking at any other career path that you could have taken or that you know someone who took or maybe a celebrity or somebody else. Uh, who would you want to be for a day, basically? Uh, who, who would you want to, whose life would you want to have career-wise? What would you uh, want to have been? Oh, I wish I could be. A, um, a a tree surgeon. Ooh. That's what I would really love to do uh, is Ooh. to learn how to take care of trees because sometimes you have to cut off their limbs in order to make them grow better. Mm -hmm. And I would really love to be a person who specializes in taking care of trees. Wow. Maybe not just a tree surgeon, maybe not just cutting their limbs. That's kind of... Um, that's a little bit too much, but I would love to be somebody who's a, it's like a forest ranger, somebody who takes care of trees. That is so cool. Like just the things that you don't think about, right? Like that, that, especially with, with your book, um, and the living next to a forest, um, all the wealth of knowledge that you've, you've learned about trees, um, that's interesting. I like that. That's cool. Well, I'd have to get, I'd have to develop a, a lot more bodybuilding because you need to carry a chainsaw that to, to the top of the tree. Maybe that's why <laughs> oh I still God. haven't done it. Yeah. It'll be an, it'll make a career for my next life. There we go. Yeah. We well, go. I can hear uh, Jean in, in you in that answer. So that uh, ties up a lot of loose ends for me. <laughs> You have this extensive career in, in writing, both technically and creatively, um, and your degree in English. Um, I wonder how your degree has also served you um, when we talk about, you know, the winery um, and um, the the not just the operations, but from what you were saying about your book, all of this ties into this social awareness that I'm, I'm feeling that you have. And I just want to know more about how your degree kind of served you in this journey. Well, absolutely. A degree in the humanities is, to my mind, one of the best portals to understanding other people. Mm -hmm. Because not only do you do a lot of writing, 
but you have to do a lot of reading and you have to read other people's stories and you dive into other people's experiences and into their cultures. And when I, um, when you can't travel as you know, a 10 year old can't travel and sometimes a 14 year old can't travel, reading a book is, is a wonderful way to travel and yeah. you feel what's happening in other people's lives. And when I came to Europe, one of the many things that uh, shocked me is that I thought my country was the best country in the entire world and everything else would obviously be inferior to it. I had a very parochial um, perspective and uh, discovered that there were whole worlds out there and other people who thought differently than I did. And that's where the English uh, degree and the literature degree with, with studies in history uh, are so important because it gave me a sense of other people's cultures and other people's viewpoints and their ways of thinking. So when you're in a business and running a winery is business, one of the most important things you can learn is how to listen to other people, how to stop thinking, gosh, how am I going to get what I want? How am I going to get from them something? Which is what, you know, is a natural instinct for most of us. We have an interaction and we say, okay, I've got to make this sale or I've got to make this uh, this, 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 this project run correctly. And what's wonderful about stories and being a story person, whether you study history or whether you study English or you study cultures, is you take a breath and you say, what is, where is that person coming from? What's their story? Mm -hmm. What are they bringing to this encounter? And I can't think of any better way than um, a humanities degree for helping you learn how to take a breath and try to figure out where are they coming from. And that's the whole, that's the whole big part about social awareness and social consciousness is when today the world is so divided and people are so fixed into their positions. Well, I try to... Uh, I tried to take a moment and say, well, you know, those people are really angry about that. They're really, really upset. And it, they are upset about something that to me seems kind of reasonable and normal. And I, I have to take a deep breath and say, well, these are human beings too. Why are they so, uh, so up in arms about this? And it helps me realize that I don't have the only viewpoint in the world. And um, in fact, my father went to Catholic U and he had an engineering degree. And his first love was writing and was stories. And I think that it really served him well in a time when he knew that he felt strongly about issues, but he had to also open up to other people's viewpoints. And I think that that's very much missing in um, not the younger generation so much, but my generation, people who are over 50, this polarization that didn't exist so much 30 years ago. You've said a, a lot of things there, Mary, that uh, if we had all the time in the world, I would love to discuss and dissect and talk about with you. And one thing that you said uh, that really resonates with me and you're kind of preaching to the choir is the role of the humanities degree. And that's one thing that I like about the undergraduate program here at Catholic University is the emphasis on the liberal arts and forming a well-rounded person. And uh, it, it just strikes me that there are so many avenues of what it means to be a human that... Uh, should we neglect that human aspect of work and life, it's going to set us up for failure as employees, as colleagues, as family members, as team players. And I'm even thinking here particularly about leaders. And so uh, your, your winery, of course, is family owned and operated and you're running it. But I, 
I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the way that you lead uh, teams, the way that you think about uh, putting people in positions to succeed, just your overall leadership style. What does that look like for you? Oh, <laughs> what a wonderful question. My leadership skills at the moment are turning this business over to our children. And uh, we have one son now who is our vineyard manager. And uh, actually, he has taught me so much because he is very poised. He's very uh, thoughtful and he's had a lot of experience in sales. And he was not afraid of starting something completely new because working the land as a farmer is very different from working in Boston as in, in, a, in a big corporation in sales. So my leadership, uh, my leadership skills with him are helping him have the confidence to take over and um, reminding him of what a big challenge he is has taken on and telling him everything that he is doing well. And I don't think that's just what parents do to children. I think good bosses reinforce with their employees, gosh, you did that really well. You know, you really articulated that point on, that point clearly, or oh, you got that in on time, or you handled that client really well. And it doesn't have to be over the top, but I think people really respond to positive feedback. And then it's also important to be able to be kind of critical, not just flattering people all the time, but being able to say, okay, let's sit down, let's talk about how we can do this better. So we, uh, the leadership skills we have right now are mostly with transitioning this company to our three children, Julia, who is running the uh, vineyard, uh, our younger son, Henri, who's a biologist, getting his master's in Germany now in soil remediation, and our daughter, who is also in the wine business, who is uh, focused in marketing. So it's, um, it's a really a two-way street. You know, they teach us a lot, and um, we try to cultivate their confidence. I think confidence is so important when you are running a team. And the thing we like about running a family team is we disagree, but we don't necessarily uh, yell at each other. We, um, uh, we can get angry, but we, because we love each other and we have a lot of fun together. And that's another important part about team building is have time for fun together because we have a lot of fun together is you know when you've had fun with somebody and they love you and mostly they trust you you can disagree with them you can get angry but you then you can turn around and say okay but i know you're not going to pull the rug out from under me i know that you can accept that i disagree with you and then we can move on and we can find common ground and i think that part of the great thing about a family company is we have implicit trust so that we can disagree and know that the other person is going to say, hmm, I respect you. So if you disagree, let me give it some thought on both sides. A long, long time ago when I was struggling as a writer and my writing was not that good, and I, but I really wanted to continue, um, someone said to me, literally, don't put down your pen. And that's all he said. And I'm so glad that he did because he didn't say, you're a great writer. He didn't flatter me. He said, you have potential. Don't give up. Because I think writing is one skill, but it applies to many, many skills, which is you have to have some talent. That's true. And you have to have um, some inspiration. But so much of it is the desire to do it and the love to do it and the willingness to put in the time and put in the discipline and putting in the effort and then getting it wrong and failing and saying, well, I'm going to try it again. So 
I would say to anyone who really wants to do something, you know, don't give up when it gets hard. Learning a skill takes a long time mm -hmm. and um, you have to keep practicing it and practicing it until it becomes something that you, one day you wake up and say, oh gosh, I know how to do this. Um, and, and you didn't give up. And that was among the best pieces of advice I was ever given is uh, don't put down the pen. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, in saying don't put down the pen, um, yeah, it causes us to continue to hope and believe in ourselves. Um, and yes. um, I, I think that that's something when we're, we're talking to students or we're working with students at times, you know, things can get pretty overwhelming um, and they could get frustrated. Um, and I think that having um, a perspective like that um, will continue to inspire and instill that hope in them throughout the process. So thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it strikes me that that is uh, a recurring theme in mm -hmm. a lot of career stories is just the being able to develop the perseverance and the, the grit, yeah. as Angela Duckworth likes to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I like that as a, uh, somebody who does a lot of academic writing. You yeah. really can't put down your pen. You re in, in my day, I guess, I can't really make my fingers stop typing. <laughs> and so we're going to turn now to another segment. Uh, one of my favorite ones. And uh, Mary, I hope that you'll enjoy it too. Okay, Mary, it's time for our blast from the past segments. This is, as I say every time, one of my favorite things about this podcast and about Catholic universities that we have this treasure trove of uh, archival material from your books to articles from the tower, which is a newspaper and other papers and collections and photographs uh, from the university's history that have been digitized by the lovely folks over at Mullen Library. And I'm really grateful to them because we get to find a little bit about the history of Catholic University and about our podcast guests. So of course, uh, I did a little bit of digging for you through some of those archives. And if folks are interested in finding more, you can uh, find the website through the Mullen Library's website, and you can search for anybody or any event or anything that's related to Catholic University to see if it was talked about at any point in the university's history through kind of these public media. And Mary, for you, uh, as I was searching, the first thing that I found was your, your class of 1975, of course. So I went looking through the 1975 yearbook. I found a picture that I think portends what you would become uh, in your later career, you're sitting around here with a group of friends, and there's a wine bottle and some wine glasses in front of you. So that's, uh, 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 I think oh, that, that is a preview of coming attractions. Yeah, that's hilarious. Well, it, those were the days when Cardinal Hall was still the most beautiful dorm on campus. As you can see, that's the, we were sitting in the bay window of my room. Wow. It was such a beautiful dorm. And we were having such a great time sipping the wine. Yeah, that's, that is hilarious. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Not I. <laughs> well, it's here and preserved for uh, all eternity, hopefully, um, uh, here on the wonderful thing we call the Internet. But uh, that's not really what I want to spend uh, most of our time talking about. Um, I, as I was doing some other digging, I found uh, that you were not just a wine drinker or part of the French club, but you also were part of the Catholic University gymnastics team, which I wasn't even aware that we had. But you are all over the place uh, there's a picture I found of the gymnastics team from 1974, and I think of uh, biggest note and what I want to talk about with uh, our time we have left today 
is you wrote an article in the tower from February 28th, 1975 that talked about how one of the recent gymnast meets went. Uh, so for folks that are listening, uh, we'll of course, I'll link to these images and the article in the show description for this podcast episode, but I'll just read it out loud because it's a short article and it gives a nice overview of what happened. So here we go by Mary Bruton. Gymnasts reap ribbons. In their first meet of the 1975 season, the university gymnastic team walked away with a number of awards in all areas of competition. The date was Sunday, February 23rd, as Gallaudet hosted the Washington Area Colleges, Georgetown, George Mason, George Washington, and Catholic for an afternoon of compulsory routines. In women's events, junior Kathy Graham made a remarkable showing by taking first place in ribbons and tumbling, uneven parallel bars, floor exercises, a second in balance beams, and a third in side horse fall. Wow, that's an impressive haul. Yeah. She was great. Kathy Graham was great. Yeah, it's. I mean, certainly sounds like it. Uh, that's uh, seems like almost a, qu- a clean sweep. Yeah. <laughs> the article continues and says senior Mary Bruton placed second in floor exercise, and sophomore Stephanie Kane had a strong performance with a first in balance beam, a second in side horse vault, and a third place in floor exercise and trampoline. So you're not only a member of the gymnastics team, but you got to write the article celebrating all the good things the gymnastics team was doing, which I, I love. Uh, but I'm wondering, you've talked a lot about how your humanities degree has given you skills and shaped you as a person and provided you with uh, just kind of this outlook on life and how to be empathetic and appreciate different perspectives. A lot of alumni that I speak with and a lot of current students uh, that are student athletes talk about the role that athletics plays in their personal and professional development. I'm just wondering, do you have any insights on that? Have you had any kind of life lessons that you picked up from gymnastics that you've taken with you? Uh, is there anything that reflects that stands out in your memory from your time on the team? Just what, what are your thoughts on gymnastics or sports in general for developing professionally? Well, the gymnastics team at Catholic U was uh, pretty much non-existent before um, Joan Dowd, who was uh, the head of the dance program at CU, she pretty much pulled it all together. And she was just an amazing woman. I, I just amazing. She was just about to have give birth and she was still doing cartwheels to show us what we were doing. She was amazing. And um, a lot of the work that we did had to do with dance because of her dance background. And um, even though gymnastics is an individual sport in some ways, there was a real um, esprit de corps. It was a real feeling of a team uh, effort because there was a, we had to help each other in many, many ways. And because of this, because of the sports, we developed friendships with each other. And, um, and you start with knowing very little because the, the, some of the people on the team did not have that much uh, athletic experience before they began. And you could see by looking at their perseverance and also at their bodies, that by sticking it out and pursuing this uh, this athletic program, they became healthier and stronger, and their you know their muscle mass improved. It was really quite exciting. It wasn't just about going to the to the gym and doing a workout. It was about doing something that had a beginning and a middle and an end, and there were skills that you had to learn. Because there's nothing more exciting than learning how to do a back walkover for someone who could hardly could hardly walk straight or learning how to do a back handspring. I still dream today. My happiest dreams are doing a series of back handsprings because of the, because of the joy, the joy that it brings. And um, I think it's probably been said a thousand times before, but having a daily or at least a almost daily exercise 
program is uh, so important for your overall health. As Joan Dowd taught us, she said, you need to do something every day to keep yourself in condition. Because if you're physically con in condition, then you know, your brain works better. And it's all the research shows too, that if a little bit of exercise will help you stay in a more positive mood so that you can accomplish the things that you want to accomplish. And the biggest lesson I took away in, for the long term about gymnastics at Catholic U was it was doing something that I loved. And I think that um, when you do an, a, a sport or you have an exercise program, it has to be something that you enjoy as part of your, you know, as part of your routine. It can't be something like, oh no, I have to go exercise again. It has to be something you love doing. And it's building in that discipline of making it part of your life so that it becomes something that you, that you enjoy. I think for me, the biggest thing about exercise, which is still a very important part of my life, and uh, I still do some of those exercises that are, um, uh, that are in that funny photograph. Oh, fantastic. Because yeah, because as you, as you as we learned, if you don't stop, Joan Dowd said, don't ever stop. If you never stop doing the splits and you never stop doing cartwheels, you can still do them at the age of, well, I won't, you can do them at an older age <laughs> and, uh, and, and help yourself feel like you're still having fun. And, and you're, it, perhaps the biggest thing is the mood enhancement. It really does lift you up when you're feeling a little down or a little frustrated or even tired. So, yeah. Wonderful. Well, as somebody who has never been able to do a split and can only kind of gracefully, well, no, I shouldn't say gracefully, ungracefully fall and roll on the ground. I'm very impressed by gymnasts and very impressed that you continue to do those things. Uh, thanks for sharing some thoughts on how that's kind of shaped who you are as a person. And even today, some of the things that you're still putting into action. Well, Mary, thank you so much for spending some time with us uh, to talk about your career path. And there's so many things that we could continue to unpack and work on um, and think through. So, uh, folks, I encourage you to take some of these tidbits and even the anecdotes that Mary has shared with us from her own career story and think about how these things apply to your life. What, Where can you work on developing grit? Where are skills that you just need to not put your pen down or maybe not put your protractor down or just keep typing? Uh, Mary, I'm, I'm really grateful for that. Well, we just want to take a moment to thank Mary for her time and for sharing her journey with us. This has been another wonderful Cardinal conversation, uh, and we look forward to bringing you more great stories, amazing content, and sharing these journeys with you. Hopefully, um, they're as inspiring to you as they are to both of us. And so we are really looking forward to to the next segments that we have coming up, right, Brett? Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's always such a joy, and uh, it's always a joy to do it with you, Ryan. Uh, so before we uh, sign off with this episode, I do want to remind you that Cardinal Conversations is a podcast in partnership with the Center for Academic and Career Success and the Office of Alumni Engagement in the University Advancement Division. Uh, you can support the podcast and even broader the work and mission of the university by going to engage.catholic.edu. And if you want to volunteer with any of the career programs at Catholic University, if your company or organization is hiring, you can always reach out finding uh, our information at success.catholic.edu. So, Ryan, thanks so much. Until next time. Until next time. <laughs>